are listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, February the 20th, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. I'm all by myself today because it's Bible Study Wednesday. Congregations may be listening in their congregation. I do know that individuals at home are listening. And they have the opportunity, if you're in a congregation with a group of people from 9.30 to 10, to listen to what I have to say. And then you can talk about it from 10 to 10.30. And we're getting some very positive results uh, from this. It's a great opportunity, by the way, because I know one congregation doing this, where uh, people who are not Lutheran are invited to attend at 9.30 to listen to what the Bible has to say in various areas. Today, I want to talk about Psalm 103. And it is one of the readings for the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany, which is coming up Sunday. And then we only have one more service for the Epiphany, and that's the Transfiguration, as Pastor Mark Smith reminded me. But why do I want to look at that? There's something in our new hymnal that wasn't really available in the other hymnals. If you take a look at a worship service, for example, I'm looking at setting one, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And then right after it, it has Matthew 28, 19b. Guess what? This is a great opportunity for parents to help their children understand why we do the liturgy as we do it. If there was one mistake I made during adult instruction in my early years, I really didn't talk that much about the liturgy. And I soon found out that, no, people needed to know why we were saying what we were saying, and therefore we got much more into the liturgy during adult instruction, talking about the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Lord's Prayer, Baptism, and the Lord's Supper. But divine service, I'm looking at one here, not only has part of the liturgy taken from Matthew 28, but also from John chapter 20, John chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, Mark chapter 10, and you go through the whole liturgy. This is the feast. It's from Revelation chapter 5. Whereas Gloria in Excelsis is from Luke chapter 2, John chapter 1. Now, why am I mentioning this? It would be a good opportunity to help your children learn about the liturgy by taking a look. You should have a hymnal at home that your church uses. And hopefully, uh, they're using the new one, Lutheran Service Book, because all of these Bible passages help you understand the meaning of the liturgy. I'll never forget a time when one of my new members who had gone through adult instruction came to the Lord's Supper and was crying. And I asked her afterwards why. And she said that during the sermon, I had made the point that when Simeon talks about, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace after holding the baby Jesus in his arms, 
that's very important that we sing that after the Lord's Supper when we take the very body and blood of Jesus into our mouth. And she had never understood that before. And that got me thinking, no, I really need to start taking a look more at what these verses are saying and the parts of the liturgy. Now, the reason I like Psalm 103, it's the one of the Old Testament readings for the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany, is that it has a number of phrases that people will recognize are part of the liturgy. It's a Psalm of David, so without further ado, let's kind of take a look at it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, somebody once asked me, not that long ago, we understand how we can, how the Lord blesses us, but how do we bless him? Well, a blessing from God to us means that his mercy is overcoming his justice, where we are not getting what we deserve. We're actually receiving, because of his grace, more than what we deserve. To bless the Lord, therefore, would mean to give praise to the source of our blessing, who is none other than the Holy Trinity, and particularly uh, the word Lord oftentimes refers to none other than the second person of the Trinity, even in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ. So how do we bless his holy name? Well, one way is by not breaking the second commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I, I can't believe how many times the name of Jesus comes up in a swear situation. I enjoy watching YouTube videos of car crashes. Oh, that's terrible. Why would you like watching car crashes? Well, I'll tell you why. If I was teaching kids how to drive, I would have them look at those videos and after each crash, explain why that crash happened. I guarantee you that 80% of the crashes occur for two reasons. Somebody is going over the speed limit and driving erratically in and out of lanes and this sort of thing. And therefore, when cars ahead of them have to stop suddenly, maybe because of a traffic jam, they often slam into the back. Uh, one of my favorite ones is... It talks about how every time somebody does something wrong, all of a sudden a policeman appears and chases them down. And people in the car are whooping it up. Oh, good, boy, he's getting his. But unfortunately, because dash cams often have sound, when somebody crashes, you can hear what they have to say. I kind of like watching Russian crashes because it seems like everybody in Russia has a dash cam. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, they are definitely saying words that I don't think are appropriate, but I don't understand Russian that well, so I'm not sure what they're saying. But every now and then, I saw one, uh, it was car crashes in Carolina in 2018. 
and people were using swear words when somebody hit them and this sort of thing, and they were not obviously blessing his holy name. Every time uh, we've had an accident, I've learned to thank God for what didn't happen. Maybe somebody more seriously hurt or the car totally ruined or something like that. And, And that took some time because, boy, when I grew up, a car was like having a girlfriend. In fact, a lot of times I take the car out, my dad's car at night, and we would drop off our girlfriends, so we would go to the nearest expressway they were building and have drag races, <laughs> you know. So if something happened to our car, and I can understand, you know, people getting really upset when they get a scratch in their car and this sort of thing. But that's ridiculous because it's only a piece of property. You're not taking it to heaven. So this first one, bless the Lord, O my soul, by blessing his holy name, that's what a worship service is all about. We're blessing the holy name. And what is his name? Well, remember, we often start, as I did a couple of weeks ago, a baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, here's another way of blessing him. And forget not all his benefits. I mentioned that a couple of days ago, that if you're ever having a bad day, just go to a desk, take a piece of paper, and start writing down all the benefits and blessings that you received from God uh, during this week. Did you have enough food? Did you have a place to live? Were you able to afford gas? All, All kinds of things. And I tell you, that can offset the bad day you're having due to something else, some other experience. So don't forget his benefits. The word benefit is simply another word for the word blessing. We receive benefits when we don't deserve them. And verse 3 tells us the biggest benefit. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Now we have to understand this properly. He forgives all our iniquity, and he also is able to heal any disease. Now, if you're talking about on earth, there are diseases that don't get healed, and people even die from them. But if you're talking about eternity, there is no diseases in heaven. And you will have perfect bodies, you'll have a new body, you will never want to sin, no desires of sin. So how does he forgive our iniquity? Verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The word redeem is very important in the Bible. It actually is a word used to buy somebody out of slavery. And you are redeemed from the pit which, of course, would refer to the pit of hell, the kingdom of Satan. You were bought, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, his innocent suffering and death. And during that time that he bought you, he was crowned with thorns piercing into his skull. 
but you are crowned with his steadfast love and mercy. Steadfast love means there is never a time when God does not love you. That That's really hard for us to understand because in our society, there are a number of times when we may not love somebody because of something they've done to us. Maybe they're our enemy. That's why the uh, text uh, for this week is interesting, where we're to love our enemies. Wow. Jesus shows us how he did that. But we're going on while we're blessing his name and not forgetting his benefits. Look at verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, what's that talking about is that even as we grow old, look at how many people still are able to not only function, but they do reach milestones. They're writing. They're maybe continuing to do their work in a way to help out other people. And so in Christ... We're often satisfied that it is like our youth is renewed. It's just really amazing to think about how old a person is or how old you are and yet still able to complete the work of God that God has given to us. So notice that God is the subject of every one of these phrases. As verse 6 says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now that specifically can be referring to any human being who's oppressed by the devil. How does the Lord, and there we're using the name of God, the word Lord is all in capitals, How does he work righteousness? Martin Luther was very depressed when he was an early Roman Catholic because he thought that the Lord worked righteousness by making him do righteous good works. And he kept realizing that all his works failed. They became short of the glory of God. He was a sinner. And so he really got to hate God because he was unable to work righteousness. And then he discovered it wasn't his task to work righteousness. It was the task of God. And God worked that righteousness by sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who was totally sinless in his life here on earth. He never sinned. And that perfection, that righteousness is transferred over to us in the waters of baptism. That's We're going to be talking about that a little bit tomorrow. Uh, We're going to be dealing with a subject that uh, Wes Reimnitz discovered. Uh, There's a, a, a lot of people who believe in pluralism, which means that there is no one religion superior to another. How do you get around that option, that feeling on the part of so many people in the United States? Because Christianity is definitely superior, but if you just say that, you may lose them and they'll stop listening to you.
So we're going to be talking about how do you deal tomorrow with folks who believe in pluralism that no religion is any better than another. One of the ways is verse 7. The Lord worked righteousness to those who are oppressed. And 7 says, he may known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Well, what acts did he do? First of all, you had the plagues that came to Egypt. And finally, Pharaoh, all right, let the people go. Then after the oldest male in the family, including the animal, died, then Pharaoh let the people go, but then he changed his mind again and chased after them, and they were caught between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. What did God do? He put up a cloud of fire, separating them. And then he opened up the Red Sea, and they went through. And when they got to the other side, they saw, well, here come the Egyptians. They're coming through the opening of the Red Sea. And they were not happy with God until the waters came forth and swallowed up all the Egyptians. I, I just think of Pharaoh standing on the other side of the sea, watching his army devastated by God. So what was God doing there? Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. What does that mean? Well, keep reading. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the proper role of a parent to a child. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Not that discipline will not be brought to the child, but remember the word discipline is pretty close to the disciple. And it won't be because the parent is getting even with the child for making him angry or whatever, but simply because he desires to have a child who recognizes what is going on in the world. And verse 9 helps us to understand. He will not always chide, that means discipline, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, there's no doubt that even a loving parent can become angry at a child when the child does something contrary to the rules of the household. But that anger isn't there forever. If it was, then verse 10 would come into place. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, the word sin and iniquity, that's just simply a synonym, one for the other. And how would he be able to repay us? By getting even with us. Therefore, if God did that, we would be the one on the cross. Now, in a sense, we are on the cross because Jesus is our substitute and so he takes his wrath against his son to the point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he does that because Jesus is carrying your sins on his shoulders. But he does not deal with you according to your sins, nor repay you according to your iniquities. 
He deals with his son according to your sins and now offers you free and total salvation if you simply trust the promises of the gospel. Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, that's another familiar verse that oftentimes will come through in the liturgy or in the sermon, etc. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our transgressions are removed. Now, what does that mean, that they're removed? It doesn't mean that we don't do transgressions anymore. But the penalty of eternal damnation is totally removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a map, but it has the north, the south, and the east, and the west. It's impossible for the east ever to meet the west uh, on a map that's on a linear page. Now, in the world, if you have a circle, the east kind of comes around and meets the west, but not on a regular map, because the east is as far from the west so also are our punishment of our transgressions removed from us. And as I was saying, you know, this really is a good example for parents. That's how David ends with verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, does that make any sense? Why would you want to fear God if he's so good? We fear him because we recognize that he has every right to send us to hell because of our sins. I mean, what child doesn't fear parents when they do something wrong because they know they're going to be disciplined and there are going to be consequences for what they have done wrong? But what the father does, he shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, that word compassion from the Latin means passio, to suffer, and com, C-O-M, means with. So he actually suffers with us. How can you not think of the cross of Christ in regard to this verse? as a father shows compassion to his children. How many parents suffer with their children? Let's say the child falls down and cuts his knee and he's bleeding and the parents are really loving towards him. They're suffering seeing their child suffer. So does God have that kind of compassion towards you who fear him. Fearing God is a good thing because it recognizes I'm not in charge of my life. God is in charge. And to have the promise that he will continue to show compassion to us, just like parents do to their children, that becomes really good news. So one of the things you may want to do when you're going through Psalm 103 
is to underline those phrases that you've heard during a worship service, like, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. He forgives all your iniquity. He works righteousness and justice, made his known his ways through Moses. And this is one that's even used at the end of reading. The Lord, verse 8, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So it might be a good opportunity for you to go through the liturgy with your children, particularly in the new hymnal where there are many Bible verses attached to those parts of the liturgy. If that would be a pretty good book, on one side you'd have the liturgy, and on the other side of the page you'd have the Bible verses. I think that would be a pretty nice thing for a Concordia Publishing House to put together. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, once more Wes Reimnitz has come up with a great idea. A lot of people believe in pluralism, which means there's no religion superior to another. How do we as Christians, how do we overcome that wrong notion of pluralism? It's the next Law and Gospel. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.